You're about to hear my conversation with John Cook, the co-lead of GreenChip, our investment boutique focused on environmental investing. We talk all about COP26, industries like cleanup technology, industrials, as well as the recent rise in resource. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKenzie Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm delighted to be here with John Cook. John is Senior Vice President and Co-Lead of our Green Chip Boutique. John, welcome back to the podcast. Hi, Matt. Nice to be back. Everybody here to address a, a few topics, but I think probably the most timely and, and uh, the largest headline is uh, about a week ago, COP26 uh, ended. I'd love to give your, get your thoughts on uh, COP26 as a whole and, and, uh, and how to think about it generally. Yeah, it certainly made a lot of news. And some were saying, you know, this was the COP, which is the uh, conference of the parties, but this was the COP to determine whether we were actually going to be able to keep global temperatures below that one and a half degree pre-industrial level mark. So they, they sort of played this up to be a really important one, but it is the 26th of an annual group of meetings. So kind of went into this uh, thinking that it was likely to underwhelm. And I think that's what happened. Right. Uh, you know, there were certain agreements. I don't want to stress the negatives, but there were the important parts where they didn't get a global agreement on you know, phasing out, instead they use the language phasing down coal. Um, and uh, they didn't get a full agreement on transfers of, of capital to emerging markets, which really need help on this. Um, that said, uh, every time they do these, we move uh, public awareness and hence government support further along. So it's, you know, we shouldn't be too cynical. Mm. And, and I think, you know, we can get into this, but I don't think we want to lose sight of the momentum that's actually going on when you get below these large government agreements. The, the small numbers are really exciting. Well, let's get into that. Uh, so maybe you can expand a little bit on what small numbers are you looking at? What makes you excited uh, about seeing uh, that movement? Yeah, I mean, when people think about the environmental economy, they often think first about um, you know, how we produce energy, because the way to deal with climate change, as we know, is to transition away from a fossil driven economy to a more renewable one. And, uh, you know, about 80% of primary energy in the world comes from combusting fossil fuels. So to move this, you know, incredible fossil energy complex, which has been developed over the last couple hundred years, to something that is renewable in the next 30 years is unimaginably complex and large. And yet the scale of the change on the ground is not quite up to the task to move it at the speed that we need, but mm. is really encouraging. And let me just give you a few numbers. So 
in solar. It looks this year, according to Bloomberg New Energy Finance anyways, that we're going to do somewhere just under 190 gigawatts. And that number doesn't mean anything on its own, but that's up from 142 last year and 119 two years ago. And we've just lived through COVID. So substantial growth. Wind last year was up 50% year over year the year before. And as we know, uh, you know, in the electric car sales, it's they're much slower in North America, so we don't notice it as much. But you know, we we've increased total EVs or EV sales as a as a portion of the total was at four percent last year, and this year it's probably up to eight percent. You know, I don't know whether we continue at that pace, but that's quite extraordinary. Interesting, uh, and that's and that's your your cause for optimism is, is these smaller changes that will ultimately lead to the the large headline numbers or or, or is the theory there that will pressure governments to make these commitments or, or what's the, the thesis behind the broader optimism? Well, we're we're investors, right? So what makes us exciting is growth. Mm-hmm. And I guess we're value investors. So growth at the right price. We get excited about that. Um, we didn't enter into this, uh, you know, with the intention to try and fix uh you know, climate change problems. I do believe that uh, financing the transition is a really important way to get there. Right. That said, econo- I don't think economics are going to drive the transition quickly enough. So we are going to need government regulation to push it more quickly. And so I think all of us, I mean, we look at what's going on in BC right now, and, and there are lots of these things that happen each year, but this is one sure. that's close to home. You know, we do need to push this faster. And so we need governments to get on board. But, um, you know, I think when coming back to what I was saying earlier, or as Winston Churchill once said, you know, let's not let perfection get in the way of progress. Very good. Um, well, maybe we'll we'll change topics from COP26 and talk a little bit about uh, some of the recent activity in the resource market. Uh, which you referred to earlier, uh, generating 80% of uh, energy from fossil fuels. Uh, What we saw, uh, this is maybe going back, call it a month ago, but still certainly is the case in many markets. But in the UK, you have a natural gas shortage. Uh, You're seeing price spike up on on coal and oil, um, certainly elevated to where they were last year. And I'm, I'm curious to get your take on it. I mean, Cynically, you could you could look at it two different ways. One is very supportive, where we just need more renewables on grid to help that out. The other is a little bit cynical, which is, you know, with factories being shut down in in China, with the queues for petro at, at uh, in the UK, people are going to get fed up and just say, pump the oil, give me the coal, get the factory back on. So, curious on your take on this. Well, I think there's a there's a short term and a near term. Uh, sort of structural change that's going on in, um, you know, in energy markets. And when we talk about resources, I'll just start with with energy markets. You know, we've just come out of COVID, so demand, or we're coming out of COVID, so demand for energy is starting to lift back up. You know, to put that in perspective, when we went into COVID, we were consuming about 100, 101 million barrels of oil a day. In the middle of COVID, that had dropped to about 90 million barrels a day. And so we've moved back up closer to the 100 again. And uh, it takes time for those systems to adjust. And so you're right, we did see a very um, uh, steep spike in demand for natural gas and oil and and coal, which led to this price increase. Now, I, I do think that 
um, that will readjust, markets will readjust. And, you know, I don't think we're going back to where we were in terms of prices pre-COVID. Um, but, uh, and the reason for that is because for many, many years, really since 2014, we've been significantly underinvesting in uh, fossil fuels. And the mm -hmm. reason for that is large pools of capital see the transition underway and they know that long-term demand for these um, energy sources is going to start curving down. So they don't want to make long-term investments. Right. But I would say generally we've underinvested in all types of energy and this is a problem. The one thing that I would say about the renewable space is because we get wind and hydro and the sun's photons for free, the solution to this very volatile short-term spikes and troughs we see in energy markets is actually to get through the transition more quickly. It is the solution long-term to creating less, taking geopolitics out of it and creating less um, uh, price spikes and difficult inflation to deal with. Now, so in, in the, the other thing that I th should say though, is the other side of the resource uh, market is all the materials that we need to actually get us through the transition. And those right. huge figures for growth in wind and solar that I talked about earlier and batteries for EVs, mm -hmm. these things are not built on fairy dust. And the um, we have also underinvested in uh, production, mining and production of the materials we're going to need. And uh, I I think that this is an historic investment opportunity because we this transition is going to bend the demand for these materials the opposite direction from oil and gas it is going to bend up significantly interesting um well maybe we'll use that as a segue to just what's interesting in general you mentioned sort of these uh the component parts that go into some of the wind turbines solar panels uh, are you finding that uh, segment of the market interesting right now or or generally, what are you finding interesting and in, in, uh, when you're looking for solutions for your portfolio? Yeah, there, there are so many areas that are really interesting. Intellectually, this is a fascinating space. Um, you know, the headline news, kind of like COP, the headline news when you think of sectors is, you know, are the EVs and the wind turbines and so on. But it, the investment opportunities are often the bits and pieces that go into those technologies mm -hmm. that, you know, to to use a little pun, are found under the hood. So we've heard about the shortage of uh, semiconductors in right. the energy space that tends to be more power management semiconductors, um, you know, little chips that control uh, the power going to drives to variable speed motors that run robotics and heating ventilation equipment that run the motors in electric cars and so on. Uh, then you've got the batteries and all the materials that go to those. And if you if you um, look under the hood, uh, you can actually find a lot of mispriced securities in a space that I would argue has gotten a lot more public attention in the last few years and is generally a bit more expensive. So that would be one area. I could mention some others if you're interested. I am. Well, um, you know, one of one of the obvious places on the on the utility side are those that buy all that uh, renewable energy equipment and then develop uh, power plants, renewable power plants and operate it. So in Canada, we have names like, you know, uh, Brookfield Renewable or Borelex or Algonquin Power and so on um, that have been uh, 
you know, they've made their own set of headlines. But but one thing we've seen that's um, really changed in the last few years is these uh, developers that are primarily focused on renewable energy have actually become quite expensive. Sure. And where we're seeing more uh, opportunity right now is in these very large integrated utilities that are actually some of the largest renewable developers in the world, but they're still operating traditional, you know, coal, gas, and even nuclear assets. Mm-hmm. And, you know, investors are thinking, well, they have to transition away, but the price spread between these larger utilities, which are clearly on a path, many have made very specific commitments to get completely off coal, let's say, are trading at half to a third the valuation. So, um, you know, in terms of financing the energy transition, this is a group that's really exciting to us. Um, You know, and it's changing, you know, the businesses that support those, like industrial businesses, um, we could get into cleanup technologies. There's so many other areas. Uh, do you want? Are there any specifics that you'd well, like to explore? Just before we leave the large integrated utilities, I think one of the things that would strike me about that is that's where you may have a very significant impact to the amount of um, uh, greenhouse gas emissions, given the the size of these utilities. Um, and and I guess from an investment point of view, what do you look for within those companies in order to validate that they're uh, serious about uh, getting off uh, uh, fossil fuels, uh, that they are, are on track to do so? Like, how do you, how do you think about that versus, uh, versus aspirational goals that maybe uh, aren't, uh, aren't met? Yeah, this is really important. And I, there was an article in the Globe and Mail yesterday about how uh, the investment world is becoming a little jaded with corporations, ESG commitments, environmental, right. social, and governance commitments. And I'll add to that, uh, investors have become more focused on carbon footprint, as you said. And one of the one of the unintended consequences of that is it drives capital away from um, businesses that produce solutions and companies that are moving through the transition, which we really want to support, right? So How do you how do you actually manage that? Well, um, you know, we're talking to management teams all the time and you look at the commitments that they've made historically and you call them out on them. Like, you know, uh, take some of these large European utilities that I said we're interested in now, like Angie in France or NL Turner um, Energy to Portugal. They have all made commitments to get off fossil generation, which is a a smaller piece of what they do right now, but because they put dates and timelines to this, as you're talking to them, you can ask for progress updates. And if they fail to achieve these, and in the first instance, you can ask them why, but over time, if they're, they're not living up to what they said they were going to do, you can move on to something else because ultimately what you're looking for in these companies is for the valuations to start, shifting back to closer to where the renewable ones are for the margins right. to expand the uh, the ratios to expand. So, you know, um, it's a great question and it is something that's manageable. Good. Uh, you, you mentioned two other industries uh, when you were going through the, the previous response, one being industrials generally and those that feed into sort of these large utilities, uh, the other being cleanup technology. Why don't we, why don't, I'd love to hear what you're thinking about in industrials. That's a big sector, very diverse what do you look for within that specific uh, sector? 
Yeah, I think what's interesting about industrial, so what we're talking about are companies like uh, Siemens or Hitachi, Schneider Electric would be three that we hold in the portfolio. And what we're seeing is a transition away from businesses that manufacture infrastructure equipment, you know, power equipment, transmission, transformers, transmission lines, uh, HVAC equipment for buildings and so on to, um, you know, really becoming software as a service uh, or digital, in the case of Siemens, one of the, the largest and fastest growing division they call is digital industries now. And what these companies are doing is they're taking those old businesses, you know, the manufacturing of trains and mobility and, and the others that I just mentioned, and they're integrating very advanced um, uh, uh, software into managing those systems and then selling it to their customers uh, on a, for a fee, an ongoing fee. And this is where uh, they become much more profitable and able to grow much more quickly. So um, what's interesting to us is a lot of these, let's call them emerging digital infrastructure businesses, are still priced the way traditional uh, industrials used to be priced. And they're, you know, half or less than some of the pure play software as a service uh, uh, businesses that we can find. So there's this valuation discrepancy that's really attractive. Seems like that's a bit of a theme, uh, both on the utilities as well as these industrials where you have companies that are innovating new technologies that tend to be very highly priced by the market. Um, but, uh, but as they scale, the market hasn't recognized that that is the future of the business and therefore have mispriced that. Would, would you agree with that? Yeah. You know, look at what is what is investing? What are we trying to do here? You're trying to find value that the rest of the market isn't seeing. Yeah. I, I mean, that's what we do. And you've got this lovely structural change to how we're powering the economy and how we're making things. And so hopefully, you know, we see business opportunities that those that are stuck in a more traditional world are not seeing. Great. Uh, last one uh, before we wrap, uh, you, you mentioned cleanup technology. Um, talk to me first, what is cleanup technology? Where is it applied? Where is it used? And and why are you excited about it? Yeah, I think that in terms of new businesses, there is more attention now on traditional industry industrial cleanup, you know, whether it be cleaning up tailings ponds in mm. the oil industry or just, um, you know, making sure that waste isn't just dumped into rivers or, you know, right. uh, you know, destroying our soil. But what we're seeing that's most interesting, I think, is this recycling and reusing and the thought process that is going into how businesses manufacture things. So uh, take packaging as an example. A couple companies we hold, Cascade, D.S. Smith and Mondi, they've all they all in our view are becoming uh, more profitable because they're using more recycled fiber in the box board in the packaging that they produce and they're selling packaging that actually can be recycled which is more attractive to businesses that buy the boxes that uh, deliver stuff to our doorstep or you know pallet sure. ready packaging that deliver things to factories like consumers are willing to pay more now for businesses that use uh, recycled and reusable materials. And so, and this is playing into how we produce cars, 
and so on. It's it's a really exciting area. And some of the largest utilities, like another business that we hold, uh, Veolia, um, is going to uh, be, in our view, a major player in battery recycling. You know, okay. the U.S. is talking about this large rollout of EVs. You got mm-hmm. President Biden, you know, sitting in a giant electrified pickup truck with the sunglasses on and sort of smiling, looking at the window. But the U.S. have very few materials to actually make those batteries. And so they're looking at the recycling of the existing batteries as a, an important cog in um, actually producing the batteries they're going to need for cars. So a company like Veolia, which has... Uh, you know, recapturing of materials set up all over countries like the United States, they're well positioned to uh, be a major player in, in that one aspect of recycling. That's very important. John, um, thank you very much for this conversation. Uh, as always, it's full of optimism, energy, uh, and certainly uh, provides a, a lot of uh, tailwinds for an investment solution like your own. So thank you very much. I appreciate the time. Take care, Matt. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns.